0: Welcome aboard to Thinking Logically. This is our special episode where we are joined by recurring guest. now the chair of the Beaver County Republican Committee, Mr. Roman Kozak. Roman, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a while, so we wanted to get you on just to talk about some things, get get updated, and get our listeners updated on um all things political uh here on the local state and national levels here you know as we uh approach the dog days of summer here in 2023 so um joe let's start with you i know you have some questions about our favorite senator and how that's going for the people of pennsylvania and what the voters out there think about this
2: okay so we definitely want to lead off with john federman i want to give roman a chance to there are so many things. The last time we talked to you, I think, it was right after the election, maybe a week or two after the election, where it was still technically going on, I guess you could say. And these people, um, like Fetterman and, and others, have had about six months, we'll say, to govern. How many points can you say, I told you so, and not just the Republicans, but everyone, everyone, say from John Fetterman's health to Josh Shapiro's just lack of attention giving to now two catastrophes with I-95, and he's busy taking selfies all day. Um, is there anything you want to say specifically where you could say, like, the Republican Party, even of Beaver County or the state of Pennsylvania, you can say, hey, we told you so?
1: Um, <laughs> well, I mean, poor John Fetterman, uh, in the sense of just obviously th- – and i always respectfully for the human side of things saying you know the guy suffered what he suffered and it's it's miserable it's terrible i feel horrible for what he has to endure but when it comes to him trying to serve in his capacity as a u.s senator um obviously there isn't much happening isn't much going on and when there is any attempts to do so it's kind of a debacle um and it's sad and uh you know the guy shows up in his pjs for press conferences and stuff and um i'm not quite sure if that's still his shtick he's trying to pull off or if he's trying i don't really know what's going on there um at first he seemed to try to be respectful and start dressing in a suit but now he's back to his jumpers again so um but the josh shapiro stuff i mean man i tell you what talk about a squeaky politician right there right i mean um and what I mean by that is, your typical—I mean, you couldn't draw up a caricature, a better caricature of your standard politician. And he's—he's he's likable. I get it. Like his personality is likable, and that would win you lots of votes. But the reality is, at the end of the day, it's as again campaigning as a moderate, but starting to side again with these with these absolute whack jobs uh, on some sides of this stuff. It's just like how, what's talking out of one side of the mouth and you know doing something else. So. Here we are. Here we are, typical uh, blue state governing. Um, So PA is stuck in it right now. Um, I want to talk to you about,
0: um, you know, speaking of Fetterman, and this was probably going to be something that I wanted to cover later on this episode, but we'll talk about it now uh, because this, in my mind, is probably the most important issue that we were facing uh, going into – Uh, the primaries and then into the general election ultimately. But, And that would be the campaign strategy when it comes to fighting fire with fire, trying to beat the Democrats at their own game. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is mail-in voting, ballot harvesting, uh, ballot drop boxes, things like that. What is the strategy going in to this next upcoming election cycle where we can we can counter the Democrats on a lot of these things. You know, I, I saw a quote that said Democrats vote for a month. Republicans vote for 12 hours. Yeah. So what, what is what is going on at the county level, the regional level, state level, um, if anything at all, that they're going to try to combat this and, you know, beat the Democrats at their own
1: game? Well, I mean, I can tell you that there is a total shift in the leadership within the party when it comes to dealing with these mail-in ballots and dealing with the strategies going forward and how we're going to attack those things. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, rewinding a little bit, going back to all of this 2020, um, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Democrats are always uh, really good at that sort of thing. They always have been, and they, they recognize that the use of the pandemic uh emergency situation could be uh, they could take emergency powers and basically abuse the system in order to get in especially in these states that are swing states or have traditionally been swing states or leaning just one way they could utilize um you know the powers that they had in order to to secure this um basically free for all voting um and unfortunately in Pennsylvania Republicans got totally bamboozled by it with act 77 um, thinking that trading away um, straight ticket voting, t- trading that for mail-in balloting um, would somehow be a positive. Um, and that happened right of course before the pandemic. And then the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania took advantage of all the things that were put into place to abuse it further. And then we have a liberal Supreme Court that just decides to turn a blind eye to things. And obviously that's the way the story goes and did in many states across uh, the country that were leaning blue. So. Um, and president Trump didn't do us any favors at the time in telling people not to vote or not to, tr- and I get it. Like the reality is, is most people who are rational saying people recognize this opens up the system for a really dangerous precedent. And, uh, but him sort of really, really beating this over the head and, uh, really telling people never to use any mail-in voting, um, has now caused a stigma where we're stuck in a situation that the mail-in balloting is law. Um, it's acceptable. It's allowed, and um, it's within the playing, you know, the, the playing field. And we have to utilize that now the way that Democrats are using that. Now, I will say that Pennsylvania does have a measure of voter ID, voter identification within the mail-in ballot system that you do have to provide a uh, Pennsylvania identification in order to submit for a mail-in ballot application. It's not as simple as just going online and clicking a button, um, but it doesn't matter. Still, uh, you know, it's still. Creates the whole um, the whole process from when the vote you know when the ballots received and and getting it over back into the election bureau and counted appropriately and all that stuff. Obviously, that leaves a lot of room for human error. Um, but we have to play with these within these rules now. And um, so now, giving that background just as a reminder and how this is happening in some states. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that the Republican National Committee has launched their initiative last week called Bank Your Vote um um and ronna mcdaniel is giving an update as to uh, basically why we need to uh, begin to embrace the mail-in balloting system as it is right now in order to win these elections and uh pennsylvania is doing our party is doing the same thing here uh the state level statewide leadership is um let's just say putting some significant backing into some things that i think uh, could really change the game here in Pennsylvania if it goes the way that I'm being told it's going to go. Now, I never trust these things fully right off the bat because it's a new system. But let's just – I don't want to – again, I'm not giving away too many details for the sake of strategy and what's happening on the background, but I can tell you right now that we are not we are not going to sleep on this. Um and my little corner of Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania, we're gonna make sure that uh, we do everything we can to get these people who don't typically vote out to vote. This year is a practice run because these years, 2023 is a huge election for county and local and um, yeah, district attorneys and all of the things that we complain about when it comes to crime. This is the year, uh, turnout's abysmal this year already with primaries. Um, in a lot of areas. So we've got to get that turnout up for Republicans, um, for our local governments. And then 24 is I'm telling you right now that the Republican Party, um, from all the talk I'm hearing, again, I'm looking forward to the action, but it's they're going uh, full speed ahead with this. Yeah, I hope so. Because I, I
0: believe I truly believe we have one shot at this in 2024. To write this wrong before you really don't recognize what this country looks like. And if we don't act on this now, and it sounds like from what you're saying, they are, uh, and and attack this from every single angle possible, we're going to see the same results in 24 as we saw in 22 and in 2020. So um, I I will give the Democrats credit. They're smart. They have definitely outsmarted the Republicans on a lot of this stuff. So I just hope... um, you know for this country's sake that you know the republicans uh, take this seriously and, and figure out a way to to fight back on some of these some of these areas so
1: yeah i mean uh, the reality is is where we are um 24 it 2020 was a total anomaly right i mean as far as elections go with everything with the, you know, the shutdowns and COVID and the attention paid with Trump and Biden and just the whole thing and the record number of votes and voter turnout, Um, the energy and the focus, I mean, everybody literally was locked in their homes or at least sent home from work. And so like, you know, people are back to relatively back to living regular lives again. So it'll be really interesting to see 24, um, you know, what that, turnout is like um compared to 2020 and then how you know how willing people will be to use mail in balloting i mean I, the reality is is that the democrats have an incredibly smart ground game when it comes to using their progressive groups with their cute little names and stuff that go around door knocking and acting like they're nonpartisan and um they're really good at that sort of stuff it's manipulative but they get it and they get it done um and uh they get people to sign up for mail-in balloting especially people in low propensity areas people who don't even typically come out to vote um that's how you win elections now is getting people who it's like going after the people who have absolutely no clue what's going on or aren't really interested or, or wouldn't vote otherwise and convincing them to take a few minutes to fill something out um you know weeks ahead of time um so Republicans do turn out on Election Day, uh, the, you know, the, the super voters and the standard hardcore Republicans. They've always been good at turning on Election Day, but we have uh, we, those low propensity people are the people we need to go after. And I really, really hope that this 24 is the year we can do it, because like you said, if, if we get creamed in 24 again, um, it, it's going to be pretty demoralizing.
0: Yeah, that's putting it mildly. That's putting it mildly. Joe, do you have anything? Uh, what else do you have for Roman?
2: Yeah, I, I want to get his opinion on on this. So you probably remember presidential races, um, general election races, going back at least a decade or two. I'm sure. Yeah. For some reason, and maybe it's just me. This is a big. This is a big election. I mean, every four years we say this is the biggest election in a century or so on and so forth. But this is the big election, and I feel like it's already almost July, and the attention and focus for some reason, like in 2016. Right now, everyone would have been talking about, or 2015, mm-hmm. Trump coming down the escalator, what Trump said about Mexicans, what so-and-so said, um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Now, it's almost like we're focused on, like, all the wrong things. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. It's just, for some reason, the 2024 election, in my opinion, isn't getting the, the attention it has in past
1: past election cycles. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I mean, I think, I guess if you're in the political bubble, like I am, it's nonstop. So it's hard for me to, you know, uh, I think there is a lot of exhaustion. I mean, I sense it when I talk to just people in general, like these past 2020 and 2022 were very exhausting just to the general public. Um, And obviously, there's a lot up in the air, I think. I think one of the big things here is like both Republicans and Democrats are kind of tiptoeing around the fact that they're not confident in their whoever their front runner is right now. Um, Everyone's trying to bounce around this like nuance and, and trying to satisfy 20 different groups of people at once and trying. So I think that's part of the problem is like, You know, 2016 it was there was fields of candidates on both sides and there was a lot of competition and a lot of who's going to win, who's getting stuff that was going on with the Democrats and Republicans and Trump coming out of nowhere. And now it's like, you know, old Joe and Trump again, it's kind of like same old story. Is this going to be what ends up happening? Um, And I can tell you right now, like most people I talk to, um, you know, there's obviously your hardcore Trump supporters, but people are kind of just like, they just they just want to know who the candidates are and they they there is this uncertainty as to who the heck people want to support um and there's a lot of concern about civil wars within the parties so uh yeah i just think it's different this time interesting um well we'll
0: piggybacking off of that you know i'm looking at a poll here from we always quote chivalry group robert kahaly and from a strategy standpoint, I'll ask you this, and here's the poll: Do you believe President Biden is too old to effectively serve a second term in the White House? Sixty-three point five percent of respondents say yes. Twenty-eight point one percent say no. Eight point four percent say not sure. If if
1: if you are you know doing this so campaign, that twenty-one campaign, plus eight percent, they just obviously don't watch any news or twenty-eight, the yeah, 28%, yeah, twenty-eight <laughs> percent. I know. Yeah.
0: So how do you toe that line where you're trying to convince voters that, hey, he's too old, but at the same time not offending or maybe scaring off your senior citizen voters who <laughs> make up a large chunk of the
1: electorate? Um, I don't know. I think you just point to the cognitive decline and examples and clarity. I mean, I think, uh, I don't think, I think senior citizens uh, are pretty, you know, the generation that I know – seniors they're pretty hard-nosed people so um especially in these areas that i live in and i don't think that i mean they'll be the first ones to tell you that joe's got to go in the sense of his mental capacity or the embarrassment he is i I think most honest people will recognize that i mean you don't want to beat up on people for being geriatric that's or for being um you know senior citizens i mean like ronald reagan was one of the best presidents we ever had and he was old and you know same with people like Trump and the stuff they were able to accomplish. We've had some incredible presidents that are old. And um, the reality is, is if you look at Joe Biden, I mean, clearly the guy is is on cloud 24. I, I mean, I don't even know where he is sometimes. It's like, it, it's sad too. Cause again, it's another thing like Fetterman, like you've got to, we can't, I think when we deal with these things, I think when Republicans deal with these things, it's dealing with competence and it's not mocking people. I think when you go the mocking route, it's, it's kind of disheartening or people, generally the, the, the American public is not going to be too um, receptive to like a mocking making fun of someone sort of campaign um, because it's just degrading and a lot of people know people who've had strokes or who have had dementia and, um, and but it needs to be like pointing out the realities like man, like this this yep. person's just not competent like yep. Uh, and I think people are receptive to that
0: Yep. Yeah, that's kind of where what's kind of where I was going with that question. You know, I mean, it's there's definitely a fine line there with without you know trying to mock somebody's age or disability, but at the same time trying to get your message across that they are not competent right. to hold the office of president of the United States, United States senator, or what have you. So.
2: Two points, Mark. Num- number one, take that poll. And instead of president, like we said, just throw in fast food worker or, or drive through employee at, at McDonald's and see what the percentages are then. Um, right. Number two, I, again, I don't think it's about age. It's about how sharp you are at that age, because like Roman said, look at Fetterman. How old is he, like 50 some? He's, he's, His age doesn't matter. It's his mental capacity, just like Biden. I know lots of people that are in their late 70s that are pretty sharp. Um, yeah. I, can they be president I, I mean I don't know I'm not saying they can but they're a lot sharper than the guy that is so
1: yeah
0: sure
2: and if you know history what they're going to do is they're going to try to put a cap on an age limit so maybe maybe that's how they prevent Trump from running they'll say if you're 75 year older you can't run for president and what that'll do is that'll screw us out of another four year term just like when they said you can only be president for two years we lost out on probably Dwight Eisenhower having a three or four
0: year or term run you know But yeah, Um, I wanted to ask you about um, regional uh, politics here in Pittsburgh, Allegheny County. We saw in the Allegheny County um, Democrat, the primary election, progressive Sarah Inamorato came out on top of her two uh, biggest uh, rivals competition. John Weinstein and Michael Lamb, two very well-known names in Democratic circles in Allegheny County. And this is for the race for Allegheny County executive, a very powerful position in Allegheny County and also regionally. I mean, what is going on in Allegheny County, Roman, and in the city of Pittsburgh, for those listening here in Western PA, Pennsylvania, and in this region, where progressives are just stacking win after win. In these elections, I mean what I mean, I, I'm just Flabbergasted by the fact that They can continue to Put these candidates out There, It's it was first It was Summer Lee Who ran for a state house And then now United States Congress And then we saw um, Ed Ganey get elected, Mayor of Pittsburgh And now Sarah Enamorado And I'm probably forgetting a few We have the uh, the district attorney uh, Matt Dugan, who's a Soros-funded candidate who defeated longtime DA Zapala. Zappala. What, what's going on, Roman? Um, it, it, you know, to the best of your knowledge, how is this happening? Because this shift seems like it's kind of specific to whether it be Allegheny County or cities, but this doesn't seem
1: representative of the region as a whole. Well, I mean there's a lot you could talk about with that sort of stuff. I mean, your, your boy, your, your, your moderate, uh, right center governor Shapiro. And I say that sarcastically just, uh, endorsed in a So another example of, yeah. uh, that, that being, I mean, right. It's cool. It's hip, right. She's, she's according to the magazine, she's cute and young. She wears blazers. Like, you know, it's, it's this Obama sort of thing. Right. I mean, like, it's that appeal to a certain class of voter, um, particularly, you know, when we're dealing with places like the cities and like, think about the areas of the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, I know Allegheny County is much bigger than that. Right. I mean, obviously there's suburbs and stuff involved as well, but there is an appeal to a lot of young, um, like university graduates. Uh, obviously there's some big universities in the area and colleges and, um, coming out that are young progressive minded, um, and I hate the word progressive. Can we stop using that word? Hate Can we it. We figure, figure out a better way because it's like... Right? Yeah, we're, it's, we're progressing toward child pedophilia is what we're progressing. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, yeah, we're like, yeah, what's the progress here? Um, and so when... I think about this situation. I think about the growing areas around the city of Pittsburgh, right? All the hip neighborhoods people are moving into. And to be frank, when I go there to eat dinner or whatever, I love, like, it's awesome. Like, it's great. There's all this cool cultural stuff. People are out enjoying one, you know, but there is, there's a sense of um, the way that these energetic progressive groups come in and, and capitalize on these things. These, these elections, these odd year elections where we are, you know, running for city councils and, um, County races and things like that. The reality is, like turnouts, like below forty percent. All right, so you get if you can figure out a way, especially in a pri- primaries. I'm looking at our areas, right? The turnout was for each party was somewhere between twenty five to twenty eight percent of registered people in those parties. So if you can figure out a way to get a handful of percentage points towards your particular candidate, um, you win. Like, that's it, you, you, you win the primary. And then it comes up with D versus R and the D's what they do is they do this every single time. They run this sort of working class, I'm a moderate appeal, sort of like the Republicans are crazy MAGA racists. It's the new strategy. And they're like, they market themselves and they get the media's help to appear as if they're reasonable and they're professional and look how cute they are and look how artsy their, their websites are. And like, it's just this whole marketing appeal. And then they go ahead and win um with that appeal. So to this sort of um uh these, these groups of people within within the cities. So that's my opinion of it. That's how I think I see it unfolding each and every time. Um and again that that those progressive organizations, grassroots organizations, they are um they're machines and they they've got a doesn't take a ton of people, but if they get 20, 30, 40 people that are willing to knock doors make phone calls, send little notes and letters to neighbors um, with all this, you know, sort of millennial type marketing using show, social media and stuff. It's it's a game changer.
0: It's, it's just, just very frustrating. And, and and you brought up a good point about voter turnout. And this was another thing I, w- I wanted to ask you. You know, we saw, I think the voter turnout in Allegheny County for the primary was like something at like 30%. Um, and then you have a candidate winning Who's, I mean, the vote was entirely split between, like, four candidates. She comes out on top of, like, 36%. I mean, you would think that we would have runoff, a runoff election in a situation like this. Like, you need to have at least 50% of the vote, It very, at the very least in a primary, to advance to the general election. It just doesn't seem, you know, representative of, yeah. of the electorate, you know, when you have someone who's getting 36% of 30% of the vote. And now and now they're going to pretty pretty much be coronated as the next Allegheny County executive, unless this Republican. Yeah. I think what's his name. Um, I forget his last name. Rock or something like that. Yeah.
1: Um, I, don't, I don't know him very well. I, but I forget.
0: Like... But, I mean, but it's almost a, a guarantee that she's going to win.
2: It, it amazes me, though, Mark, how you just made a good point there, how they will get 30 or whatever, 30-some percent of 30% of the vote. And then somehow it's almost like they're the most popular. They're they're like 55% come to the general election. Like all the Democrats stick with them. And then somehow they peel off a decent portion of independence.
1: Yeah. It's marketing. Yeah.
2: Roman, here's what worries me. Here's what worries me. Now we're, we're all from Beaver County. So we're a little bit safer We're further out, but like in cities like that, especially, (laughs) especially Pittsburgh, you see places like California, um, New York city, even. Um, the state of Washington some places, the state of Oregon some places. It's taken them 20, 30 years to realize that these policies are terrible and people are fleeing now. Mm -hmm. What worries me about Pittsburgh, we're only like a decade in. I don't think people – we're going to have to suffer these policies until people realize a decade or two later, hey, these were giant mistakes. You're starting to see it with the homeless now. I, I just don't understand how people can't see it
1: yeah i mean you're living off the uh, someone made a good analogy the other day with something there's multiple things it's a good analogy for but like you're living off the steam of the coal from the past right the coal when you put in a coal in a steam engine you know the positive economic things the the, the right policies um the coal burns for a while and the steam keeps going but then eventually the coal runs out and and right now we're still living off of some of the the re- i mean pittsburgh has generally always been right i mean we can't, we have to be honest like allegheny county's generally always been Uh, at least in the city of Pittsburgh, right? A pretty strong democratic stronghold, especially along the river towns and stuff. And, but that was a different Democrat party. And, um, you know, I I think you see the people like the Ritz Fitzgeralds and stuff, uh, that sort of last hurrah of the old democratic um, standard in in Pittsburgh. And now we're moving into this this new wave of, of what, you know, I'm gonna call them 2020, you know, Democrats um just because of the nature of the shift that started occurring and uh i don't know what pittsburgh i'm ready for pittsburgh i can tell you right now that i know a police officer in pittsburgh who's been there for 20 years and he has told me i think i might have told mark this but he's told me um he's been there for 20 years um working and he at this point will no longer allow his wife to walk the streets of pittsburgh um this is a 20-year police officer and this guy's not i mean he's not a. He, he lives out in you know just outside Pittsburgh, just outside the city limits, and like he's not like some sort of uh, like radical or like extreme whatever you want to call. It. He's just making an assessment. Like he won't let his own wife. He took his wife to a concert or that Heinz Hall. That it, there was a concert at Heinz Hall, right? You think Heinz Hall? You think a classy concert? People are probably dressed nicely going. He said, "Yeah, I, when I take her to a concert or anything, there she wanted to go to a concert with her one son. She's like, I dropped her off in a squad car and I picked her up in a squad car. I will not let her." and and he said it to that point now where you know he's like if you're a group of guys walking downtown you'll be fine generally speaking especially during the day it's not a big deal but he says if you're a, a certain type of individual a woman or it's by yourself with your head down or whatever he said the problem is now it's not that something an incident's going to happen It's the, when the incident happens it's going to be catastrophic um so that was his words telling to me and it kind of was like wow like that kind of because I still kind of thought, oh yeah, my wife and I, we can go to Pittsburgh and get dinner. And he's like, I, I just don't recommend it anymore. He's like, it's, I don't think you're going to die, but I just don't really recommend going downtown any longer.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, what we're seeing you know in, in a, in an exploding homeless population downtown Pittsburgh as well. You know, And to their credit, the Ganey administration has dismantled some of these uh, encampments, as we'll call them, along the <laughs> river or downtown. But This just seems to be a bigger issue. I will give him credit for asking for other ideas from outside of just his administration on how to deal with this issue. And a lot of the violence in, I don't want to call it violence, but just overall issues in general or crime that we're seeing downtown is uh, related to the homeless population, Mm -hmm. you know, aggressive panhandling, um, things like that, business um, owners being scared away, employees not wanting to go downtown, I don't know if this is a perception or if this is a reality, but it's certainly a problem because we're seeing the numbers of homeless people that are downtown, you know, in, in Pittsburgh. And it's not just downtown Pittsburgh. It's other cities as well. Yeah. And I don't know if COVID has exacerbated this problem or not. seems.
2: It's it's the, the liberal policies come with a price and that's one of the prices. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
2: Reva said an analogy. I'll give you an analogy. It's, it's like a, it's like a hardcore drug at, at first it's, you, you get this drug injected into you and you feel great um, Now usually oddly enough speaking, they're cash injections because usually it's some kind of stimulus involved with these liberal policies But after a few years I mean you start to where you need this cash you need the stimulus you need these policies and if you don't get them you crumble. look at
0: California what
2: if California didn't have any federal funding? Be over right for them.
0: Yeah, I've, I've 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 asked Joe in this podcast before, and I it was a hypothetical question in a, in a way. But show me one area of the United States, one city, where progressive—we'll just say we'll just keep using it now that we already yeah. said it—progressive, left-wing, leftist policies work. Show me one place where things are going well in an area or a city or a region where leftist policies are in place and they or working for
1: the people? I, I, to, I, I don't know. I mean, and that's the thing is one of the things you have to have in that discussion with, with, especially with people is the framework for how you define it going well. So like right, us, what I would say, you know, conservative, <laughs> we would call rational minded people, but conservative sort of like um, uh, classical value type people. When we look at a situation, we're like, oh, crime's increasing. Uh, that's horrible um you know like the the level of safety in our communities is going down um you know homelessness is spiking um those types of things right we look at those right away i think public safety number one is like that that main thing and then you think obviously at the end of the day there's also when it comes to business and, and growth and development and there's there's other things to talk about there but framework i think for a lot of these lefties is is like well look like we got out, we cut this business out and this business out. So that means less carbon emissions, that's progress. And look, like, these homeless people are expanding here. They're coming here because, like, we provide stuff for them and we give them justice. And, you know, so, like, it's just a matter, again, of, like, sometimes we look at people in these places and we're like, how could they possibly think this is good or great or beneficial? Um, And you hear these sort of far-left things, like, well, it's justice. And, like, it's... It's it's a it's a chance to you know win, it's a win for the environment and um, you know look at the workplace laws and minimum wage laws we have in place now people who work here have to get paid this much money well it might mean less jobs but um, at the end of the day like it, those people are making ends meet here now and like so not recognizing obviously on the other end that rents are skyrocketing and pe- no one's owning anything any longer and you know so it, but again that's just. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff we're dealing with here. What's actually success? Yeah, that, that is the kind of stuff we're dealing
0: with. And, and it seems to be spreading like wildfire in a lot of these cities, uh, especially here in the northeast. Uh, on the west, you know, and Roman, I, I saw let, something. Let me yesterday. say this
1: real quick, Mark. I don't mean to cut you off. I meant to not add not- this. I was, I was trying to. I was trying to. What and again, with the younger generations, and I'm and this is our generation to I guess we call millennials, younger, but Gen Z. But like the reality is, is like when it comes to these situations, what I'm re- recognizing more and more is people love to be nannied. They love it. They don't care that they don't own things. They, if they can own their iPhone and a bus pass or like a you know a transit pass and you know get get to their particular software job back and forth or whatever, like not recognizing all the stuff that goes into that in the background, but like. People like to be nannied. They like to not have to have responsibility, and they like to, if to virtue, you know, to feel good by allowing, you know, you're part of something bigger than yourself. Where we are made to be in groups of people that are bigger ourselves, and so, you know, if, if they when they decide to to just dump religion, when they, in their own mindset they think they're dumping religion, but they're just moving to a more public uh, governmental religion, and. and I Just think people like to be nannied, and that's why it seems so appealing to a young generation who has basically been taught their whole lives that um, they were they evolved from a bunch of snails and there was no meaning to life, so now all of a sudden there's meaning found in the government.
0: Yeah, well, I I could say what the religion is of the left, and that's the uh the rainbow colored flag, uh, that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and you know, the culture wars that we're fighting, you know, and we've Said it repeatedly, we're not anti that coalition at all. It's the fact that, you know, it's the virtue signaling. It's the 24-7 uh, being forced to worship uh, the rainbow-colored flag. And on top of that, uh, the fact that they target children as well um, to go along with that agenda. So um, that's something that, you know, we don't have to talk about right right now and, and today. But I did want to mention something else, geopolitical, Um that um, I sent to somebody yesterday, saw this on from uh, End Wokeness on Instagram, and that is the population shift, Roman, of people leaving the Northeast and Democratic-controlled states like California, Illinois, Mm -hmm. New York, all states that have lost at least 140,000 to 300,000 people. And you're seeing this population shift to the Southwest and to the Southeast. Pennsylvania has lost 40,000 people. Um, I think, from the last, probably, census. I mean, how do you see this shifting politics, you know, I guess, on the state level and on a national level, especially when it comes to, like, the Electoral College?
1: Mark, that's progress. We're giving off less carbon now because there's less people in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's cleaner now because of that. Look, we get rid of people. We're cleaner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> it's uh again it's hard to deal with with the media and the and just speaking in the 2020 was a wake-up call for a lot of us and we're like oh just once the evidence comes out or once it's sort like common sense takes hold well yeah we, we sort of lost that we're like wow okay i guess that doesn't matter any longer um the common sense in this situation tells us huh people leaving an area must mean that they don't like being there any longer must be reasons for them leaving those areas and going to other places. And you ask people, why are they going to other places? And they're giving you all kinds of reasons. It's, you know, California, my, my, uh, last time I checked and maybe my global warming temperature sensors aren't correct, but California, Southern California, you know, Florida, Georgia, um, South Carolina, they all have had pretty decent weather. So it's not like, oh, well, people were just moving there because of the weather. It's like, yeah, well, they've always kind of had pretty decent weather. (laughs) So why why now what's the shift happening now I, I do think like you know obviously politics is changing the, the population shifts these these states these blue states are going to lose more congressional representation which for a republican that's exciting but for those of us that live in these states that are seeing that population loss um it's kind of like it's it's depressing because i only i can only feel for certain you know republicans in certain states like you know, i have good friends in northern california there's poor people like it's just it's miserable in that sense. Beautiful country. It's incredible. It's there's some part of the reason they still live there. But governmentally speaking, the stuff they have to put up with is just insane. So the shift in politics. I don't know. I mean, it's like this. There's gonna there's this whole new batch, this basket of you know the southeast that is. Um, in the past, the Southern Dixie Democrats sort of had this like coalition there. Now it's just totally shifting. So um, I don't know if I'm answering exactly what you're saying, but I, I, I yeah. I just see this, you know, the Republic, it's just kind of odd. Like, I mean, if you look back at, (sighs) look at the campaign materials from the Clinton, like uh, Bill Clinton, like the Dixie, like the the stars and bars, flags, The out. have you ever seen that stuff? Like, it's crazy, like how the Democrats had that stronghold there. And they were literally flying the stars and bars. I mean, the, the, the actual campaign had the Clinton Gore star bar buttons and stuff, like old Southern Democrat, like it was, it was wild. And now look just in 30 years, just the transition that's occurred. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, we're seeing here, these numbers, Florida has gained 319,000 people. Texas has gained 231,000 people, North Carolina, a hundred thousand people, Tennessee, 82,000. So those are the five biggest, five biggest ones. And on the the biggest losers have been New York, uh, which has lost 300,000 people. California has lost 343,000 people, Roman. And Illinois has lost 142,000 uh, people as well. So that's a major, major population shift in the United States, not to mention all the migrants coming pouring across the southern border and probably you know, setting up shop there in the southern part of our country as well. So, yeah, you're seeing a, a major shift um, here in the United States.
2: Just, just to bring up another point why it could be possible, um, I can't speak for all those states, but in general, I can't believe I'm saying this, the South is kind of bringing back manufacturing so yeah
1: yeah yeah it's uh i mean well they're ones opening their doors and i mean what that's where all the racists live and go apparently so yeah um which it's the whole thing is just it's it's i mean it isn't a, it's a neat study in uh population migration and how politics affect all that stuff but the reality is too is like we can't forget that like well there's like this sort of rejoicing like oh look how red florida's become and and like Tennessee and stuff i you know it doesn't take but more than one quick generation shift to start shifting these policies again so um yeah i mean i wouldn't rely on florida being a republican stronghold for the next 50 years um i just think that there's so much demographically that we have to deal with it could be if the, if, you know, and again, who knows what the Republican and Democratic parties look like 50 years from now? Because 50 years ago, maybe me and you, well, all, all of us here might have been leaning Democrat in a lot of different things. So it just, I don't know. It's hard to say what it's going to look like coming up in the future here. Because there is, I mean, totally in the past 10 years, there has been a significant transition um, in the parties.
2: Well, let's not forget a main reason we're going to have the, a major disadvantage for the Republicans is number one, it starts in the schools. You can't even teach God in schools. However, on the left, on the other side, the I guess you could say progressive side, they want to actually, they, they don't mind having, and I'm not making this up, porn, porn books in school. Mm. I, I just, I don't understand this agenda. It's how, how does the three quarters of the nation not see this as number one disgusting? They have to be shooting themselves in the foot. I, I just, I don't know.
1: Well, it's taking time, I mean, we're starting to see, I think, in a lot of places, uh, parental awareness, awakening. I think this is why the school choice movement is going bonanzas across. I mean, the general media doesn't report squat on this, but you're seeing this past year, state after state after state, just knocking it out of the park with incredible school choice legislation, um, giving vouchers, uh, scholarships, all of these things. And then you've got places like Illinois, of course, that have just decided just to remove the final vestiges of any school choice. Um, but that is one of the reasons you see that. And here's the thing, like it's not, like it's hard for us to see this sometimes, but like it's not that the school system's not not teaching about God or some sort of, de- they are. It's just a different one. So it's it's a it's it's either it and, and depends on what we want to call it at this time period but it is a different like i said there's there's always going to be in a society rules morals expectations rights and wrongs right and they're going to come from somewhere so is it the people is it the progressive population is it you know um the individual who's the person that gets to decide what's right and wrong so the reality is, is there's just been a shift in the school. It, it, it's under the guise that if it's not, oh, this is not religious, but it really is. That's the most diff- That's the most um, damning thing of all of this is when you look at the whole situation that we're dealing with nationally, it's not that there's an elimination of religion, it's just a shift in what, what religion is now acceptable. Um, and we could you could dive into that for a long time but that's that's one of the things that once people start re- i think we are some people I, you and i probably are recognizing that like you're seeing like okay you can't say these things in public anymore but you can say these things okay those are blasphemy laws right like those are strict theocratic blasphemy laws you can you know you you, you have to act this certain way but you can't act this so you have to pinch incense to this deity and not this one right you have to come out and give homage you have to repent when you say something wrong it's a religion, man. It's, like, full-blown right in our face, and we we choose to ignore it. That, that is a very underrated point, how you linked it to religion like that,
2: because it is... And now even... It, there are now where you can't even think a certain way. That's even wrong. Not even, like... It's even think. Look at the Toronto Blue Jays pitcher. Granted, that's a different country, but still, it's Major League Baseball. He had to apologize, and they still... That still wasn't good enough.
1: Well, yeah, I'm sure you guys are all going to be watching the Dodgers game tonight. You know, it's like... What if, like... I mean, and and thankfully, I'm so glad for these people that are standing up for this stuff because it's like, here's the thing, right? It's not like that this is like, this isn't just like a simple, um, you know, acknowledgement of a certain group of people. This is a public display of degradation against the Christian religion, like fully celebrated. Like you've got, the, you're going to celebrate this group of people at the Los Angeles Dodgers game who literally like crucify themselves and like hump and dance each naked against the, like and I'm not saying that to just like be grotesque i mean that's the reality of what these people are and it's like to me like you want to talk about it it takes a lot to offend me but like when i saw what these sisters of degradate, whatever the heck these people are you know like when i saw the stuff that they were doing and now they're like you've got a public sports team that's going to try to acknowledge them for like for what reason um, for their displays and performances, um, I'm sorry. Like you're getting to a point now where it's like, I, I'm like that. That that is just it's just unbelievable. I, I don't even know how to explain. Like, don't anger. forget the do- the Dodgers apologized to them. Yeah, of course, right? Well, they bowed to the religion, right? I mean, they had to, right? And anybody that comes out and says anything is going to be immediately b- brought before the Sanhedrin and prosecuted. Um and, and told that they're breaking the law and that they should be stoned. I mean, this is like everything, nothing's new under the sun, guys. This is just, <laughs> it's just, a, it's a transition, you know, uh, to a different religion. That's what they want.
2: This is, uh, I mean, this is, we have Roman on. We've, we've made this comparison numerous times. This is how the Roman Empire fell. I mean, yeah. first it started off, a few people eating too many grapes and throwing up so they could eat more grapes. And before you know it, there was all kind of heinous things going on
0: so yeah i mean people have said people have said we are late republic or we are late empire late stage american empire here
1: yeah and i do think the western i think western civilization is that we are at the precipice of the enlightenment experiment um you know the elimination of or making the individual a uh, god and and preferences and feelings and Uh, I mean, this goes all the way back to Rousseau and everything. This is an outworking of everything from Rousseau directly through Marx all the way up to where we are now. And we are at this tipping point, I think, in Western civilization, where in the next 50 years or so, we're going to see which way it's going to go. And uh, I'm not one of those people that thinks it's over. There's a lot of people that it's over. I still have a lot of hope. I think the American spirit and the people, if it can get bad enough. um, But I'm worried about what that bad enough looks like, you know. uh, Yeah. That's my concern. Is is it going to be? Uh, what what's what are some of these people going to try to do? You know, as far as to make things get bad enough. We saw what happened during COVID and how the the public health state what they did um, in order to try to gain power. So, and this is that's the thing. Like we're not conspiracy folks here. Like this is simply just an acknowledgement of what happened. <laughs> like like look what happened. Did we not see like the growth of what happened and what's occurring and the results of that societally over just these past couple years? So. You get right. called
2: crazy. You get called crazy for even suggesting. Just like with the gas stoves. That one's trying to ban gas stoves. Yeah. New York is banning gas stoves.
1: If you say it enough times and you repeat it enough times, you start to believe it. But um, yeah, they're coming for your refrigerators, your gas furnaces, your cows. You don't want to have cows anymore. Your kids. Your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are kids. Well, who was, who was that? Didn't I just see that the other day? Joe Biden? The, yeah, the Joe White Biden. House tweeted that out like there are kids they're not your kids. it's like who like you want to talk about like come and take it you want to give me a flag i'll hang outside my house if i'll if I'll put like kids on it you know just like pictures of you know like, like cartoons of kids and say they come and take it like i dare you um you want that's like that's the thing like that's why i think the school board stuff comes and it's like people you know say that about firearms and other things like that but if you start messing with people's kids watch out watch yeah. out um, I want to I want
0: to wrap up with two things, Joe, um, you know, chime in here, or add whatever you want as far as whatever, whatever else you want to ask Roman. But I want to ask you um, two things. And this is more on the local side of things. Um, number one, what are some of your efforts going toward right now as the leader of the Beaver County Republican Committee? And my second question with that is, what are voters what are you hearing from voters out there? You know, we we know all politics are local. What are some of the things that you're hearing from voters out there as to just in general, what they're what they're upset with,
1: what they're looking for, who they're supporting, things like that? Um, so first thing is focusing, um, you know, I, I'm just as considered chairman of the, the Republican committee in Beaver County, I do want to make sure that I, I make that clear that that we aren't necessarily technically like the party. Um, the party apparatus is more national and statewide and, and committees are sort of just like representative arms of, of like-minded right. Republicans gathering together to help accomplish those goals in our region that's best for us. And and so, you know, our goal, honestly, like right now is to, so Beaver County, um, a decade ago, had, Democrats had a 15,000 voter registration advantage. Um, as of June 12th, it's 960 something. We are basically, you know, 500 voters away or less flipping, 500 Democrats flipped away from uh, from Beaver County becoming majority Republican, which if you would have told someone that 20 or 30 years ago, they would have laughed and laughed and laughed and then just <laughs> take, take you to the mental hospital. Yeah. Um which is pretty remarkable. We're gonna do it. We're gonna knock it out of the park. We're gonna, we're gonna, we want to demoralize the Democratic Party in Beaver County um, because the reality is, is that the Democrats that still exist in Beaver County um, that have, are, and what I mean by that still exists, I should, I should clarify that. What I mean, the ones who've been Democrats all their lives, um, a very significant portion of them are conservatives. They're voting Republican. Um, they just haven't flipped yet. So yeah. we are uh, doing everything we can to get the unaffiliated voters and Democrat voters to flip registrations. And I'm telling you, every two weeks it comes out, we're chipping away more and more. And I think you're going to see by the by the presidential election, my goal is by the end of 23, but by the presidential election next year, you're going to see um, Beaver County become majority Republican. Yeah, um, well, I, I will tell you.
0: Yeah, I will tell you. Um, well, you know me, I, I am uh, even though I live now in Allegheny County, um, you know, my story is. I was, you know, a major, major Democrat, uh, heavily into the Democratic circles. And probably about three years ago, you know, I had an epiphany, as I like to call it, and finally woke up and said, I'm just not doing this anymore. And on top of that, you know, uh, my dad, who's a lifelong Democrat, literally his entire life, someone who you just probably mentioned indirectly in terms of, you know, lifelong Democrat, but we're leaning conservative in their values. You know, he finally made the switch, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And I, that was shocking to me that he, that he he made that leap. So I'm sure, you know,
1: that you're seeing a lot of cases like that. Uh, well, the, across, the crazy the thing in, in Beaver County, where we are, just to give an idea, Rust Belt, America, like – if I, were to, if I were to just, you know, generally speaking, if I were to come to you and say, hey guys, which age group? If I went you know, 18, 24, 20, 25 to 34, 35 to 40, you know, if I went up all the way through, what age group do you think that we do not have? The Republicans are not, the I'm telling you right now in Beaver County, there's only one age group that Republicans are not majority in Beaver County. 18 to 24? 65 and older. Wow. <laughs> what? So if you can believe that, a, we have an advantage. It's not by a lot, a couple hundred, maybe three, four hundred vote voters, but we do have an advantage in the eighteen twenty-four voting group block. So the narrative that it's that the young generation is all a bunch of leftists is not necessarily true. And the and especially in this part of, of where we are in America, I think Beaver County is such a great microcosm representative of of sort of that blue-collar America. But 55 in order, what that tells us those people aren't Sarah Annemarado, John Fetterman Democrats. You know right. that they're not. Those people are John F Kennedy Democrats, right? Those, those people probably voted for Bill Clinton and maybe gave Obama one shot, but they're done. They just haven't switched their Um for various reasons. So it's a. Uh, someone all right
0: someone fall back there i sure it's oh no no there. i'm just opening a box here
1: yeah, no, you're okay. good. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my daughter's watching Miss rachel so she's uh, okay on the floor. <laughs> um so anyways it just goes to show that yeah like we're already voting republican trump won beaver county by 58 percent last time and that was with all the mail-in voting and all that stuff so um I, it's I, I do think someone like a DeSantis actually might win Beaver County more, like a little bit more um, percentage wise, just because there's a lot of conservative independents that are weary of Trump. So getting to the point where I'm talking about what I'm talking to voters, I would say this. I would say that in Beaver County, um, the tried, the hardcore Republicans, the ones who are listening to, you know, Tucker Carlson and, and uh, um, Dan Bongino every day and stuff like that, they are they're more than fine with Trump getting. Nominated. They, a lot of them, in fact, want him to, to go in there, and they believe he's the only guy that's actually like he's so mad, he's so upset, he's so frustrated, he's going to go in and actually just blow the place up. And that, but I, I don't mean that uh, FBI, if you're listening, I don't mean that. Uh, <laughs> act, you know, I don't mean that uh, literally. I mean that metaphorically. Um, I think that you know the FBI and justice system is uh, the national is probably terrified of that. So I think that that's that's what they they want. But when I speak to I would say um, your suburban re- registered Republican. It's, it's, it's a good mixture of yeah, heck yeah, I'll vote for Trump, no problem. Or man, I'll tell you what, like if he's on the ballot, I'll do it, but I really, really would prefer Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis. I just think someone needs to turn the temperature down and start winning arguments. And so there's, there's that debate um, on what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah. And I don't, even though Trump's leading in the polls, I do not, do not think that that means he's a runaway pick at the moment. Uh, I think there's plenty of those people because I've seen the polling in Beaver County. I was part of something, uh, actual, really, really well done poll uh, that was paid for by a wealthy, really wealthy donor, did a great job uh, putting this together, but um, it's not secure. Like, he's not. He's very popular still, um, but he's not. Uh, he's not the, the the guarantee at this point. Here's I'm the concerned. problem, and,
2: and tell me if you think I'm wrong. There's only two candidates though in the Republican primary that really have a base, and that's Trump and DeSantis. Sanders. I, I don't think you could say Pence has a base, and yeah. maybe Glenn Youngkin, if he got in the race, maybe he has a small base in in his state. I, I, I don't know. Maybe around the nation, people remember the the 2022 or whatever that was campaign, but there's there's really no one that has a base you could say the same thing on the entire democrat side because i don't think any of them have a base but
1: that's well just- there is a base for someone that we all need to be very very aware of yes uh and you probably know i'm talking th- you know who i'm talking about robert kennedy yes that guy right there is speaking into a crowd of people right now that i'm telling if, if something goes awry with trump um and DeSantis kind of falls flat on his face. I, I mean, I don't know. It'll be really interesting because you saw what the Democrats did to Bernie Sanders. Um, but Robert Kennedy is picking up. I mean, I just talked to a guy, uh, very conservative uh, guy who's he's been involved politically for a while, and he's he's like, I'm voting Robert Kennedy. That's the thing. Like that. You want to talk about throwing an X factor into this, like for Democrats and Republicans, like Republicans suddenly like. Dealing with a bunch of R's voting for a D named Robert Kennedy, uh, I'm not fully convinced it's going to happen yet. But I do think his favorability is the highest, like net favorability, among any person on that's like uh, uh, I guess you know pulled about. So yeah. Well, it's funny you mention him because I literally just
0: listened to an interview. This is his second interview now on the Breaking Points podcast with Sager and Jetty and Crystal Ball. Uh, second time on there, and his interview with joe rogan just dropped on spotify so I,
1: yeah i started listening to that this morning but i only am like 10 minutes in
0: yeah don't underestimate the power that those people have you know in getting especially rogan uh is probably one of the leading voices of the independent movement you know i mean think about how many millions of listeners he has and all these people are hearing robert kennedy jr you know on the on the on these shows and you know i but it's sad that we're not going to see him debate Biden because the DNC has no appetite for debates yeah. in the primaries. So
2: that should be a giant red pill, by the way, for anyone
0: on the, on the Democratic side. But go on, Mark. Well, you know, the conspiracy in me thinks that they're just going to pump the polls again and show Biden has this big commanding lead, no problem. You that won't work, well, uh, Roman. Please, pl- please
2: agree with me that that won't work. People are smarter than that, right? At this point.
1: Um, What, that the polls have Biden running away with the nomination? That people actually believe the polls. If
2: Biden's getting, like, over 50%, I mean, against RFK just by himself, I just don't think people will believe that. Maybe they will. I don't
1: know. I think most Democrats at this point who are kind of super partisan, the ones that would answer those polls and stuff like that, I think they're kind of just thinking, like anybody but Trump like yeah like Biden's fine like whatever but I don't think it's like there's believe me there's not the energy right there's no there's not this big movement behind behind uh, uh, Joe yeah. Biden but yeah. when it comes to all that stuff with energy like I, I truly don't Take. I'm a Republican don't get me wrong like I'm, I'm, I'm a Republican chairman but I, I'm, I truly believe that the American population is not partisan at its heart there's we're always going to have 15 to 20 percent in each side that are like tried and true party people that, you know, Republican, like that's the way to go, like no matter what, um, party, party, party. But like, I, especially now, I think it's becoming more and more, the, the number of independents uh, or unaffiliated has increased in, in certain parts um, a lot, um, leaving both parties. Um, so I, that's why I think there's always a room for an X-Factor candidate if if, if, the, if the moment's right, where like a Robert Kennedy can jump in. I mean, don't, I wouldn't be surprised to see him run as an independent um that was my next question do you think he would run as
0: a third party candidate or do you think he's going all or nothing with the democratic side
1: and and Uh,
2: also and do you think it will hurt republicans just as bad as democrats if he runs third party
1: you know so here's my this is total conjecture right total conjecture if it's trump biden robert kennedy i think trump runs away with it um, yes as far you know if, if Kennedy can get a standing right if he starts pulling people away I think he's pulling more Democrats away like these these classic liberals right um, but if it's DeSantis Biden and Kennedy depending on how bloody the primary is with Republicans like I the lane I see for Kennedy is like DeSantis somehow has the Chris Christie Marker Rubio moment right like the he gets up on stage and someone comes and kamikazes him, like just completely kamikazes him at the wrong time. Um, you know, Chris Christie comes, in. someone does something like that to him, right? And and he's just bloodied up going into a general and a lot, all of a sudden a lot of those Trump people are kind of like, or even people who vote, like, they start viewing DeSantis as like, oh, you know what, he's kind of a slime ball. Like he's kind of that politician's politician. Uh, I see that older population with the last name of, they see the last name of Kennedy, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I just think it's something to keep an eye on.
0: I would feel demoralized if Joe Biden won another term or whoever it might be, if it ends up being Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, whoever. I honestly wouldn't feel that demoralized if it was Kennedy. Just saying, you know, he seems, doesn't seem, uh, he's not going to push a social agenda like these people are and who might come in after Biden. Um, But I wouldn't feel honestly that demoralized if, if we lost to Kennedy, just saying. Um, but I also wanted to ask you, I saw you post this, and it was – I didn't mean to ask you this privately, um, but since you're on today, uh, you had someone from, I think it was Germany come in, or yeah. was it Austria? Germany, um ex- yeah. Explain that. Like, what what was that all about, and what was that guy here for? What was his perception of Western Pennsylvania, the Rust
1: Belt? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Um. Now he was a I just actually got contacted I get contacted periodically from media people just asking um, to do comment on something whatever just being Western Pennsylvania I think so like generally Pittsburgh media so it's like Beaver County is kind of in that uh, atmosphere in that universe of Pittsburgh media so uh, you know that's that's often what happens or Beaver County radio or something like that just local stuff but. He uh, reached out to me and he said he's a correspondent for a magazine called Stan Stan, it's hard for me. I had my German friend try to explain that you don't pronounce the R, it looks like Stern, but Stern. it means star in Germany. Um, and it's apparently like one of the larger magazines in Germany, um, he, the gentleman who came said, it's, it's kind of like Time Magazine in Germany. Um, so I knew from my friends in Germany who are very conservative that I know are telling me that, yeah, it's definitely like left leaning, more liberal, uh, very pro Biden um so sure. whatever it is what it is but he wanted to come to uh beaver county um he was looking at places that he he was considering the rust belt the heart of america the rust belt so he wanted to come and hit like uh you know beaver county's right along the ohio border so beaver county into ohio up to cleveland um and just talk with um uh, democrats and republicans party heads people on the ground about what their thoughts are about everything and uh so he wanted to learn more about why the shift in voting has happened He like why the democrat to republican you know what my opinions are what do i see changing and happening here and um i i applaud him because he said uh you know he wanted to get out of the media bubbles of new york and the coast because that's where he, as a u.s correspondent that's where he's always been dc new york you know california um so i tried to just Present him with some good old fashioned Western Pennsylvania hospitality. We had a lot. We had a good time together. He had asked me some hard questions and was trying to get push me on some things. I think, especially regarding Trump, because I think he's like, you know, to him, especially to the liberal European press, Trump is like, oh, oh like it's oh, like Orange Man bad. Yeah, and it's like I think it's confusing for some of these people, like coming like, why, like why are these people voting for this guy? You know, what's the deal? Um, so. Anyhow, that's what we did. So he, he was here. Um, we got to hang out for a little while and do an interview. And then um, he actually came down to the Beaver Falls car cruise for those car cruise people It's like one of the biggest on the East coast every year. And so he got to experience that form of Americana. And I was like, you want to, I was like, you want to meet Trump voters. You want to meet the, you know, blue collar America. This is, this is the place to go. Um, so uh, he did spend a little time there, but he went up to Cleveland. I don't know what his piece is going to be like. I don't know how big it is. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. Interesting. We'll have to look for it. Yeah, and if it's, I told him I was like, send me the stuff beforehand. All my German friends were like, listen, you got to have him send you the stuff beforehand. Make sure that you know he quotes you correctly and send it to you in English and German. Make sure he's giving you a fair shake. I mean, he seemed like a. Apparently, he's a really good writer, and I, you know, I know it's going to be left leaning in some way, probably, and that's fine. It's just I hope he gives me a fair shake with what I said. Sure. Okay. Joe, what else?
2: Um, I have one one last uh, point slash question here. Now, granted, we are – this is going to be for the 2024 strategy. Granted, we are about 8, 10, 12 months a- away from really any 2024 strategy like this. But what do you think about something like this? So get a few social media accounts, maybe buy some airtime, TV, radio, whatever you want to do. And then leading up to the election, maybe starting around this time next year – uh just air all kind of just videos and and sound clips audio clips of what they've been doing the past year or two what's been going on because i think the biggest problem that i I see is no one no one really knows what's really going on like you say about Mm -hmm. the sisters of perpetual incest or whatever it is people didn't believe that when i told them they thought i was i was exaggerating um and then make make the people make make your opponents on the left the democrats make them defend these it's going to force them to defend the, their their policies or um the, their policies or their other candidates that are actually running for federal office you know
1: yeah yeah um i mean i think the beauty of the american system and the structures we have set up in the society and to be frank even stuff as much as the internet has brought a lot of pain as well it's like we have incredible opportunity to speak. I mean, the media's obviously trust is at an all time low. There's more people now utilizing social media um, and those types of things for their information than ever. And obviously in 2020, I mean, it was all hands on deck to censor. I mean, these people, if you want to talk about a rigged election, not in the sense of uh, you know, I'm saying, like, you know, votes are automatically appearing out of machines. I'm simply talking about the fact that you had all of the major institutions in American society doing everything they possibly could to censor what they wanted to and, and put out what they needed to um, in order to try to get Republicans out of power. Um, and uh, now I think that we have, like you said, people, there's enough popular people like Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson and you you have someone like Elon Musk come out of nowhere that Buys Twitter and um, obviously it's not perfect and all you have know, sub stacks and writers I'm, I, I there's so many people that are paying attention to that stuff in the background like non-active users of that material meaning like they're not interacting liking things sharing things because you know they're afraid of of you know like I said the sanhedrin bringing them before the courts and announce, pronouncing judgment upon their heads but they are listening and they're watching and they're hearing and they're seeing these sorts of things and I I that's one thing I'm kind of excited about with 24 and some things ahead is I think we're just at this point in American politics where like uh, anything you can expect anything at this point or unexpected stuff can happen. Like it totally blows us out of the water. So that strategy, by getting that stuff out there, I think when I, when i when I bring that all up, it's like, if you do that stuff, I just think it's more and more people are going to start seeing that if you use the right forms of, of of media but you've got to be able to understand the way that these systems work um obviously facebook is not the best in the world they're not they're not uh they're not going to be the most beneficial but things like twitter and uh, other video platforms and stuff now i think are are reaching people
2: sure. it, always, it always seems too that the democrats just have this endless supply of money where like whether it's the white house paying tiktok members, they're just able to pay people to do this just contract work it out and People do it. I don't know. There's nothing like that really on the right.
1: Well, yeah, we we uh, unfortunately stink with uh, media. Um, it, it's just we're not as good at it, and uh, I think hopefully that shift is starting to to, to occur. But. I don't know man it's gonna be an interesting next year i I refuse like this German reporter kept asking me like who are you supporting you know who like he kept pushing me on it. like well, who who do you thinks gonna be the nominee? who are you supporting and I kept kind of telling him like anybody who's guaranteeing anything right now is insane uh, for sure no there's just no uh, it's just too much. There's too many factors going in Biden's age, the situation in Ukraine and Russia, um, what that's going to look like, how China going to react to it, uh, whether or not Russia keeps gaining ground or not. I mean, a lot of the geopolitical stuff. I, I mean, my biggest fear is that this, this you know, this, uh, what do you call it, uh, military, that the military industrial complex, these people are going to start a bigger war before this election. That's my and that's not just and that's me thinking back to the last 20 years. Uh, And a number of wars we started, uh, Republican and Democrat. I'm just—that's my biggest concern, really. I'm like, what, what, what's going to suddenly appear? Right? There's got to be a crisis. There always is now. Every election, there's, there's got to be some crisis um, to get people energized. And I'm just like, what's it going to be? I don't know. Uh, Hope uh, maybe it'll be soft and nothing. But I just don't. Jimmy Conway,
2: the quote: Jimmy Conway from Goodfellas, "It's going to be a fun summer."
0: Well, my wish list going forward for the Republican Party, um, locally, state, nationally, is to target young voters, 18 to 24, 18 to 25, and to get on social media, uh, to become more of a presence on TikTok. I mean, we have to fight fire with fire and to, you know, go all in on ballot harvesting and and fight back, uh, you know, and beat the Democrats at their own game. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm hoping the Republicans uh, go next. So,
1: Well, if Republicans can somehow, if you, here's the thing, you go toe to toe. You don't have to even beat the Democrats at mail-in balloting. If, if Republicans can increase and sort of at least like get close to matching of it, like it, it destroys all that stuff that the Democrats put in. That's, yeah. don't be surprised if uh, six years from now, it's racist to have a mail-in ballot. I'm just saying you heard it here first. Don't be surprised.
2: Hey, we did it. We did it with with minorities. (laughs) Uh, We did it with the the, uh, Latino vote. We got got more going on from there. The black vote. I mean, I hate I hate the I hate to separate it by by racial. Yeah, but it's true. So, yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, um, Joe, anything else for Roman?
2: No, this has been a very fun episode. You I, I will say you are definitely smarter
1: than the average politician. (laughs) So, talking about the <laughs> well family. I'm not a politician at least yet so um, right now I'm just a party guy that's uh, that's out there uh, trying to do my best to uh, save the country for my children and my little neck of the woods and we're not going down without a fight the reality is this is if there's anybody you know that listens to you guys or like um, that's demoralized or from seeing stuff or seeing people like John Fetterman uh, it's not over we've got so much. To, I think that the American spirit is is resilient. We've gone through these these dark times before. I do think societally we're in a very uh, really whacked out place right now. But um, we need people. I mean, I'm in my 30s. Um, there's a lot of young people out there I'm meeting that it's exciting to see that there's an energy or recognizing like, no, like this we're not we're not letting this this happen. I'm sorry. Like this is this is uh, if I can. If I can stand in the way and yell, stop, I'm going to do it. Love that. All right, Roman,
0: thank you for coming on. Uh, We appreciate it. Recurring guest, Roman Kozak, chair of the Beaver County Republican Committee. Roman, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys.
0: All right, see you.